Welcome back to the PFC podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Now we've got to dance between DA and UW and why we've danced between DA and UW. And, you know, how do we get to where we are today? And then the last part of this is now what? That's the golden hour. That's one of the now months. So if you want a copy of this, it's downloadable off the web. If you'll, if you'll just search for F-A-R-R and J-S-O-U, J-S-O-U, Joint Special, Joint Special Operations Class, Press. Just search for FAR and J-S-O-U. It'll come up and go, would you like a download for a free book of the death of the golden hour? And, and you can get it. So those of you that need to rush your airplanes may leave now. Just download the book and uh, study it at your leisure. Yeah, push the button and nothing happened. So that's my particular, I retired about five years ago. I'm corrupting medical students at a local university down in Tampa. And that's my email address down on the bottom for those who find me and talk about stuff. In 2003, we decided to do a series of ads about special forces. The Army, you know, doesn't like UW. The Army never knows what to do about UW, but they you know, would capitalize on the UW campaign that we had just had in Afghanistan in 2001. So they started coming out with these, these ads. Uh, Chief of Staff of the Army got upset because this guy wasn't in the proper headgear. <laughs> Always thought it was a great ad. So the Army also kind of had to explain UW. You know, all of a sudden we have a UW campaign. We're in the Northern Alliance, we're you know, riding horses and doing cool stuff and taking over a country. And the Army kind of had to explain it. So this is part of the Army's explanation of what UW is. The Army's always had this idea that UW is actually kind of a side war for a bigger war. That we'd have a conventional war and then, oh, in the corner, we might have a little UW. So this is just the Army's explanation. Yeah, I, I tend to highlight things I want you to remember in red, so that's my comment in red there. Yet, you work, you work along a force. But more, more better than that, this is his comment here. This takes a long time. Well, things take a long time. There's probably going to be a lot of medicine in it. Just because people get sick and it takes a long time. So UW, UW has to do medicine. Every time I'm not given my due by the Frost Arrow guys, I point out that 20% of Special Forces force structure is medical, right? 10 enlisted guys on the team, two medics, 20%. So 20% is medicine. We want our time. So this is another one of those uh, ads, which is kind of the quintessential guerrilla warfare thing. We make soldiers. We don't you know, call for reinforcements. We make our own army. So I want to go through some examples of, of unconventional warfare back in the day. And this is one that a lot of people don't know about. This is the Germans in West Africa in World War I, von Lettau Forbeck. Von Lettau Forbeck was a German commander in World War I in, in German West Africa. And when the war started, he decided he was going to kick the British out of German West Africa and, and, and British West uh, East Africa, East Africa, sorry. And, and he did. In fact, at the end of the war, the Kaiser calls him and says, come home. And he said, why? We lost. Come home. He did a, a very good warfare campaign. And that's, that's his book, My Experiences in East Africa. So he did a lot of medical evacuation. This is some evacuation by him. So when you think about evacuation in the guerrilla warfare scenarios that we're going to talk about, be pretty expansive. Fonletta had trains to do evacuation with. So there's, there's all kind of stuff out there. World War II was, had a lot of guerrilla warfare operational areas. This is a map out of the first field manual. I'll show you the cover of the manual in a minute. 
This is a map out of the first manual that shows all the areas that had guerrilla warfare. The little red arrow is from that's out in World War One, but the black arrows are guerrilla warfare movements in World War Two. Some of you probably know, but some of you don't. One of the interesting things is that the Poland, USSR, and Balkan stuff continued after World War Two. Those resistance movements fought the Soviets in the 1950s. So there are certain areas in Eastern Europe, read the Balkan states, that have a long history of guerrilla warfare. Might be something that's going to come up lately. So this is a picture from the Yugoslavs of transporting casualties on horses. The Yugoslav senior surgeon wrote a book called Partisan Hospitals of Yugoslavia. This is the hospitals, this is the different hospitals that they had in, that, in Yugoslavia at the time. He wrote this book called Parts and Hospitals of Yugoslavia that kind of lays it all out. This is taking wounded to a hospital blindfolded. You blindfold your wounded so they don't know where they're going. You take them to your guerrilla hospital. So as the guerrilla hospital got bigger, this is a comment from Dragic here about you have to have medicine in a partisan unit because you're asking for volunteers to come fight and die. Volunteers are not going to come fight and die if you don't give them medical care. So it's just mandatory that you have a medical service of some kind in, in the guerrilla force. This is Drajic, and as, as the uh, for, Tito's forces got here, Drajic and Tito asked for help. This is one of their hospitals. They had a lot of hospitals hid up in the uh, in snow cap. The Germans really run the road down the middle of the country. The Germans didn't really pay much attention to the mountaintops, and so it was easy for the for the uh, Yugoslav partisans to kind of build in hospitals way up in the mountains where the Germans didn't go. So that's just an example of hospital. This is one of the wards uh, in one of the hospitals. So this is a couple of comments from Drazy. Casualties wounded are a difficult problem, and you have to disperse them and tend them on the move. And he points out that a lot of times, tactical plans get changed because you can't medically support them. You know, in our army, we try to medically support them. If we can't do it, you know, the line guy tells us to do it. In, in Drazy's army, you know, the medics would literally win the day sometimes and go, we can't attack that way because we can't support it now. So as things got bigger, they put in a surgical team. They parachuted in a New Zealand surgical, three-man New Zealand surgical team to augment um, the, the Soviet, the, the partisan communist forces of Tito. So doctrinally, this is correct. If you look at the American doctrine that's on the table today, putting in a surgical team to do surgery on the locals and guerrilla warfare is doctrinally correct. This is a comment from Lindsey Rogers, who was the, uh, the surgeon about moving eastward. And, and he was moving with the Yugoslav hospital and every fourth, moved every fourth night and carried all his wounded. The other team was a Canadian army team. The guy who was sitting in the picture there, his name Colin Defoe, he was the surgeon. Same thing, parachuted in and spent the rest of the war doing casualties. So I started kind of looking at guerrilla hospitals and thinking, and, and, and forward surgery. When forward, when forward surgical teams came up, when all of a sudden, you know, the GWATs here, we've got forward surgical teams, we've got all kind of SO, you know, SRSs and MFECs and FASTs and all that other stuff, you know. I started kind of thinking about what, what does this mean? And I started thinking back to World War II and, and these things and the, and the Grill Hospital, which got me, what's got me started writing the book. Of course, there's other stuff in World War II. I'm not going to tell you much more history. Uh, but one is an OSS team. OSS team was jumped into Indochina, and they hooked up with a Vietnamese team that was fighting the Japanese. And the 18 Delta, they didn't call them 18 Delta at the time, but the OSS medic on that team found that the Vietnamese team leader was dying of malaria, and he ended up fixing the Vietnamese team leader who was busy dying of malaria. And then after the war, Aaron Bank, who was the father of American Special Forces, 
ended up picking up this same guy, and Aaron Bank actually rode from Hanoi to Saigon with Ho Chi Minh. Because an 18 Delta medic had saved Ho Chi Minh's life. Careful what you do. <laughs> so the, the holy trinity of special forces is Aaron Bank, Russell Volkman, and Wendell Fairton. They're, they're all worth reading about someday when you, when you do things, but we're not going to talk too much about them today, except I have to talk about Faraday for a minute, because Faraday is a classic soft guy. You know, th this, is a, this is Special Forces guy, Parik Talans. He's a reserve colonel mining engineer working for a mining when the war starts. He orders himself to active duty, walks into the woods and becomes a grill leader. He decides that guerrilla leaders need to be brigadiers, so he promotes himself to brigadier general and runs a, a guerrilla band in, in the Philippines for the rest of the war. My kind of guy. So they got those three guys together at the end of World War II, and they wrote a manual. The manual is FM 31-21, which is how to do guerrilla warfare. The best edition of this, which is findable on the internet, is the 1961 edition. FM 31-21, 1961. It's got the most UW. The, UW, the amount of UW in the manual goes up to 61 and it goes down. And now they're trying to rewrite it now because they, they don't have any hardly doctrine anymore. Um, but I pull that out regularly when I was on active duty because the things that I needed were in the 61 manual. So I recommend that as a download off the web. They also made them write this, which is Operations Against Guerrilla Forces. So both those manuals came out in the early 50s. This also is the, believe it or not, the latest and greatest, December 1965. The latest and greatest book on auxiliaries. You don't have a guerrilla force if you don't have an underground and an auxiliary, especially medically. If you're going to have patients and your guerrilla hospital is going to see patients, then you have to convalesce them somewhere. Where do you, where do you convalesce them? The auxiliary, the, the underground and the auxiliary of your guerrilla force takes those patients for convalescence. So having a good auxiliary is an important part of the guerrilla force. This is the other big take-home message from all these manuals, and then we're going to move on from manuals. That... Things only work if the special forces have a seat at the table at the theater level. So this shows a map of how a theater is supposed to be run. And there should be a, you know, an air guy, a navy guy, an army guy, and a soft guy. This was, this was written in 1951 as how you ought to structure it. It took until 1987 to enact, because in 1987 they put in the PSOC that gives us the seat at the table at the theater table so we can get stuff done. But I want to talk about medics. How do we end up with the kind of medic we've got in this, this some, you know, some DA, some UW, some this, some that, CT, all that stuff. So I want to go through kind of medics. So this, I introduce this slide. So this Special Forces was formed in the 1950s. Groups stood up and bragged in the 1950s. This is a 1950s weapon. What is it? The Davy Crockett. It's a nuclear weapon. It's, it's a... Kind of man portable, believe it or not, put it on a Jeep. At about a five kilometer range, you can shoot the thing about five kilometers. The burden range was about five kilometers. So the joke was always you shot it, jumped in your Jeep, and drove the other way as fast as you could. So that was the that was the mindset in the 1950s. The special forces groups got stood up in the 1950s, and they had this whole thing of guerrilla war against the against the Russians. The Russians are going to move forward through the full gap. And the Russians are going to be in France drinking wine before we can stop them. And so Special Forces is going to be behind the lines doing guerrilla warfare. And I was in Dead A, also known as the 39th Special Forces Detachment in Berlin. And that's what we were supposed to do. We were going to be in Berlin, several hundred miles behind the front, you know, mucking with the Russian rear as the Russians, you know, 
went toward the Mosul Valley to find their wine. So the army has some ideas about structure. The army would only give Aaron Bank X number of medics, depending on how many people he had, and only a battalion surgeon, you know, a surgeon down to the battalion level and no longer, or no lower. So the A-team with the two medics is theoretically supposed to be able to break the brigade of indigenous troops, and they would then run to G Hospital, and the battalion surgeon would be the commander of the G Hospital. That was kind of the thought patterns that, that started medicine and started medics. So 1960 and the Vietnam comes. So everybody goes to Vietnam, and the medical course was part at Fort Sam and part at Fort Bragg. And Fort Sam taught all the conventional stuff, and then he came to Fort Bragg and he got all kind of the unconventional stuff. He ended up with that MOS that's down the bottom. That's MOS when I was an enlisted guy early in the game. So in the 70s, Thanks fell on hard times. Everybody came back from Vietnam. All the medics that went to Vietnam wanted to come back and be something. And they came back and found out they couldn't be anything. Nurses wouldn't even let them empty bedpans. So they all looked around for something to do and started figuring out PA was the answer. So the whole, the whole PA school phenomena started really off the, the SF medics from Vietnam who said, I, I know I can do more. I, I acted like a doctor in Vietnam. You're trying to act me like, trying to get me to act like a corpsman or a, you know, an orderly now, so I want to do something else. SF got downsized an awful lot because we lost the war. It was our fault in Vietnam, the way it went. So the only thing that was a growth industry at that time was direct action with counterterrorism. The unit I was in, in which was clearly a, a stay-behind urban guerrilla warfare unit, morphed into a counterterrorism unit. We, we, got, we, we became the first counter-terrorism unit before that one that they talk about in Fort Bragg all the time. Because that was the growth industry, the, the bottom mine off gang, and, you know, kidnap airplanes and all that kind of stuff. <coughs> so there was a dramatic shift to direct action. The medics were going to do direct action. It came, Jimmy Carter left, thank God. The Iran hostage rescue didn't go very well. And, and for some reason in the, in the 80s, the military got off, got off on a kick about cards and giving everybody civilian cards. And so ATLS showed up, EMTP showed up, and all of those civilian certifications showed up. Uh, and then everybody wanted in the course. And so we've got, a, we've got a kind of a direct action dork team edit course. <clears throat> and then everybody who's asking to come is a direct action dork team kind of guy. Seniors want to see and send their medics. Everybody wants to send their medics. So the 90s come, 90s start with you know, Desert Storm 1 and kind of end with TCCC. So in the 90s, there's still this thing about credentials. Everybody thought ATLS. Remember ATLS, two large bore IVs, sea collar? Yeah, it's a great thing to do on the battlefield. And the ABC, AB and Air, first life saving step is airway. I was at that point going, the first life saving step is shoot back. So we at least got the course moved to Bragg. Uh, but it didn't have, again, it didn't have the guerrilla warfare side of the house. It just had that door kicking CT stuff. And as people got more and more dissatisfied with ATLS, everybody sat down after the mortgage issue and had this little after action report and started talking about what ultimately turned into TCCC. So the 2000s came, the war came. School had gotten, I, I'd gotten there to brag, in fact, and we refocused the school a little bit and we did more surgery. Uh, and if you do more surgery, you do more, more nursing, you do more medicine. 
because he's done more surgery. Um, and then the war starts. What, what kind of war, what kind of medic do we need when the war starts? Gorilla medic. We're running around with a gorilla force doing, you know, run, riding horses and, and working with the Northern Alliance. And all of a sudden somebody needs a surgical team. So all of a sudden we're back to, we're back to our roots. We're back to our roots of gorilla war. And, you know, surgical teams in to support a gorilla war. See how long that lasts? Three months, maybe four months until all of a sudden, 10th Mountain comes in, SF is away, and we're back to door kicking combat action medics again. So that started the war of the Golden Hour. So, Golden Hour is a wonderful thing if you can support it. And in Afghanistan and Iraq, we could support it. Now, we couldn't support it in Afghanistan until the Secretary of Defense said, You will. You know, we were supporting it in Iraq. Iraq had 60 minute circles, but Afghanistan had 90 minute circles. Secretary of Defense one day got a briefing on that and went, no, 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 that's not going to happen. That needs to be 62. I can recognize the political nightmare when I see one. Uh, that needs to be 62. So all of a sudden we had 60-minute 60 circles in, in Afghanistan. But either way, we're spoiled. Nothing, nothing wrong with being spoiled. Nothing wrong with providing wonderful care within 60 minutes to people. It's a great, it's a great goal. But then I started getting guys that were calling me from... Rwanda, going, Doc, we were, we're doing this mission in Rwanda. How do, I, how do I have my golden hour? I got to have it. They tell me I got to have it. No, you don't have to have it. can't do it. So that's what got me thinking about the death of the golden hour. So it, as it says there, the SecDef, SecDef mandated. Uh, a shout out to AFSOC and the Air Force. I very rarely say nice things about the Air Force. But I will say... Darlafon, P.K. Carlton and Darlafon and the cast of thousands came up with their sauce teas. And, and there was no reason for the Air Force to do that. The Air Force wasn't taking huge casualties on the battlefield. They did it for the good of sauce. They said, we need this. And all of a sudden we had these wonderful teams that I used to death that, were, that allowed us to do golden hours, right? We put that team down, you've got your golden hour right there. So shout out to the Air Force. So golden hour. Everybody knows what the golden hour is. This is a comment from you know, Russ Cottlewell's paper. And Russ went back and looked at casualties in Afghanistan before and after the golden hour. So he looked at casualties under the golden 90 minutes, and then he looked at casualties in the golden hour. And golden hour more better. Yeah, fine, got it. You know, if we can do it, it's a wonderful thing. So war continues on, of course. And all of a sudden, we're, we're elsewhere. What does elsewhere mean? Well, elsewhere means that 12-man SF team may be the only thing in the country. Wait everywhere. There's long evacuation times. There's no golden hour. What are you going to do? One of the things is, is, we've always said that 18 deltas and SOCOMs can hold a patient for 72 hours. So all of a sudden, prolonged field care comes up. That's one of the things we can do. And that we start reevaluating the third world. You know, not all third world surgeons are bad. Half of them are trained in London anyway. Thorough nurses tend to be bad. Primarily, thorough nurses are bad because they go home at night and don't leave anybody covering the ward. Thorough doctors may be who you end up taking money to if you don't have your golden hour. So, as you go into the, this is a screenshot from the SOCOM saying, Where are we? You know, where's Waldo? You know, we're everywhere. Is what it down to. So, I submit that in the 2020s, in the next decade, we're going to be looking back to our roots, meaning the only presence in the country is going to be a 12 man 18 with two medics, no doctor. It's going to be a long way to surgery. 
which makes you think about local care or bringing in a forward surgical team. The problem with bringing in a forward surgical team is it's not going to be that much trauma. I mean, if, when you have a trauma case, it's going to ruin your day and, and, and going to be really busy for a while. But how are you going to keep a forward surgical team con constant, you know, trained for a casual that may only happen three or six months? I started having that problem in, in the Middle East with the SOSTs. I took my SOST and sent them to Afghanistan to keep them busy when I didn't need them for my other theater missions. So there's not enough surgeons in the world to make enough surgical teams. Even if you could make enough surgical teams, they would expire. So you got long evacuation times coming, more medicine, because again, you're not going to see that much trauma. You're going to see medicine. I mean, it's like guerrilla warfare again. You're going to see a lot more medicine than you are going to see trauma. Uh, and you're going to end up going back to the guerrilla hospital way of doing business. So I look at the way of the way ahead. In, in a, this is my laundry list. I have two slides in the way ahead. TCCC is there. TCCC is good. Everybody understands it. Commanders need to understand they own it. The Rangers have been the best about that. It's a battle drill. It's not a medical drill. It's a battle drill. Um, and all the schoolhouses need to teach TCCC. We're still working through that. Monty will get up here and talk about TCCC a couple of lectures after me. Uh, so we're finally getting all the schools on board that they really need to do this. We, we, we clearly need to be able to feel medical things faster than we are, that's an RFI for quick fielding. The FDA is now starting to get cooperative. We're actually talking to the FDA, where the FDA may give us the ability to use the drug, even though it's not fully FDA approved, we use it on the battlefield only. So we finally made some progress and made the FDA understand that we're kind of, kind of okay. Non-standard med law. Sterile doesn't mean sterile like boiled. Sterile means like non-US. Right now, it's very hard to obtain medical supplies that aren't U.S. marked. So if I really wanted to go into a third world country with sterile supplies, that's really hard to do. That, that code is getting cracked. There's what's called a non-standard logistics course now being taught down to JPOM, which talks about that kind of stuff. But that's another area we need, to, we need to look at. And reinvigoration of UW training and, and, and SOF. SF has been as bad as anybody else about not doing and not teaching UW. We've got to get back to that. And those that are not going to do UW still need some training because the enablers, medics, aviators, that come in to support a true world warfare mission are going to need some training in UW also. We're already on this aggressive hunt for new technologies. I think we really need to question old medical normals. There is no study out there that says oxygen is a requirement. Think how much trouble we have carrying big, lunky, green tubes of oxygen around. There's no study that says oxygen makes a difference. Even in cardiac, even heart attack cases. There's no studies of oxygen that we spend there. We spend millions trying to do oxygen generators and all that kind of stuff. So we need to question a lot of that kind of stuff. And I put forth that SOF must have an organic surgical capability team just like it had in World War II. We, ran, we did guerrilla warfare in World War II. As, our, as the guerrilla teams got bigger, you got a guerrilla hospital. As the guerrilla hospital gets bigger, they're going to need surgeons. Where are you going to get the surgeons? Well, if you're, if you're fortunate, if you're running a guerrilla warfare in a really neat country with a lot of higher education, then you got enough surgeons. But if you run in somewhere where they're dumb, then the American or other allied forward surgical team may be what you need to bring in. Um, now we've got that. The SOST is a good example. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to run a guerrilla warfare. So I'm going to go to, I don't know, some country, and I'm going to jump in and I always say the definition of guerrilla warfare is an SF team, 12-man team jumps into the country five years later, rides into the national capital, waving a new flag. 
So we're, we're, we're doing, we're on that campaign, you know. And so I need a forward surgical team. So I get a forward surgical team to jump in, find F4 SOS team, and they're going to start doing surgery at the Gorilla Hospital. And we're doing indigenous at the Gorilla Hospital, we're also doing Americans before, but we used to evacuate Americans out rather than send them to the auxiliary for, for, for rehab. So the first they do is uh, a femur. And so they do external fixation, and they put a big, bright, shiny uh, green plastic cast on it. And then the guy give this guy two bright, shiny aluminum crutches, and they tell him to go to go over to that you know the big tree in the corner way over there, and the auxiliary will pick him up and you know take him to some village where he's going to recuperate his convalescence with the underground. How far do you think he's going to get dressed like that before the secret police comes up and goes, "What? We never saw a cast that was green." We never saw crutches that were shiny and aluminum. But we really reconsider what kind of medicine we're taking to the battlefield. Maybe we don't really want to take all that first world medicine. Maybe we can take third world medicine with us when we go to the Third world surgical team, not a first world surgical team. So what are you going to do? Well, you're out in this country. You're only get trauma once, once, in a, once in a while. You're busy doing medicine every day. You do prolonged field care is the first thing you do. Because evacuation is going to be so long that you're going to have to do prolonged field care. That's just a given. So it's good, good on the prolonged field care working group. It's, it's doing all that stuff and, and go on. At 18 Delta has a repertoire of surgical procedures that he's authorized to do. And there have been cases in the past where 18 Delta has done surgical cases that they weren't authorized to do. Taking out spleens comes to mind. There's conventional evacuation, which maybe just happens to be close enough to be able to do that. There's unconventional evacuation. Local care. Again, local doctors aren't all bad, especially if they're working in your girl hospital. You vetted them already. So it may be that, uh, that that's the answer. You may have a forward surgical team that's not too far away. You've got a whole bunch of A-teams around doing guerrilla warfare. Most successful guerrilla warfare operations have some kind of a sanctuary next door, a neutral country that they can hide in. Maybe you've hidden one of your forward surgical teams in a sanctuary country and you can, you can go over that. That's what, that's what the Afghans did in their first war, was go over the Kyber Pass to the Red Cross hospitals in Pakistan. So, yeah, and they put all these together and do, do all of that, I don't know. So I submit that GWAT, the time between 2001 and 2000 and now, was a high noon in the Hundred Years' War. We've had our high noon. We've had the luxury of the golden hour. Life was good. You didn't know how good it was. Life was good, but life is over. And we're going to go back to the Hundred Years' War, which we've got to fight completely differently. Final quote by the esteemed author and publisher and historian, retired colonel. Can't always bring the medical, and in fact, I submit you shouldn't bring the medical clinic to the battlefield. Try to make the GG happy. Much more important. I'm open for your questions. Thank you. That's it for today's podcast. Be sure to go to our website, www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Our boy is waiting there for you.